Growing your business is tough, but don't worry, we've got you covered. We interview industry experts on how they've solved their most challenging business problems in SaaS or e-commerce. No fluff, just step-by-step playbooks to help you dominate your market and crush the competition. This is the How We Solve podcast. Here's your host. I'm David Hensley, your host today, and today I'm talking to Mark Organ. He's the creator of multi-billion dollar software categories and companies. He founded Eloqua and defined the category of demand generation and also sold Eloqua for $870 million. He also found Influitive and with Influitive, he defines the category of advocate marketing. I actually met him at AdvoCamp, a conference that they put on. And today, Mark is coaching CEOs who want to discover, develop and dominate their categories. And I'm super excited to have him today on the show. Excited too. Thanks, David. So it's clear that we're talking about category design today. And maybe you give us your elevator pitch on what you're currently doing with your business. Yeah, I mean, category design is really my life's work. I'm so excited about further developing these ideas. As you mentioned, both Eloqua and Influitive are examples of, we call them category creators, but I really like to talk about it more as category discovery and then popularization. I don't think that categories are actually created. I think they're discovered kind of the way that, you know, an archaeologist might discover, you know, ancient cities in, in Turkey where you are, you know, and they use a little toothbrush to go and brush away all the dirt and the, a whole civilization becomes uh, apparent under the ground. I think that category creation actually has a similar type of feel where you're first discovering a group of people a lot of people might think are, are, are like freaks in a way. Yeah, I know you used to live in Los Angeles and, and, you know, Venice Beach used to be the place where the old time bodybuilders used to get together, you know, back in the 60s. And some really smart entrepreneurs, you know, they said, hey, this, this is going to be a thing. Like this idea of lifting weights to develop your body is going to become a mainstream idea. And then again, so smart entrepreneurs gave people who lift weights everything they need from products to services to uh, content, to um, award ceremonies, to contests, to all sorts of things. That's a lot, it's, it's very similar to, to my approach to category design, is to first find a group of people that are going to become powerful and numerous because of important trends that are happening in technology and society. And because trends are changing so much, there's always lots of opportunities out there where there are uh, today people that may be on the fringes, they may be marginalized, but they're going to be empowered because of these trends in technology and, and other things. And if you serve them and give them what, what it is that they need, uh, you can build an amazing company you know, with those folks. And, and that's a, a lot of what I did at Eloqua where we serve people that Today, we might call them marketers, but, but back then, they, they didn't call themselves marketers. They, that was a dirty term for them. These were former engineers that were now tasked with, with uh, generating uh, repeatable demand using the internet and other digital channels. And so we created this demand gen automation category, which is kind of a mouthful, right? It's, it's not, it wasn't our, those weren't our words at, at Eloqua. Those were the words that we heard these people use. And all we did at Eloqua, honestly, was just serve these people and give them what it is they needed. And we surfed that wave and built a company that's that's actually a whole category that's worth over $10 today, which is pretty amazing. You know, I I followed a very similar pattern at Influitive where there's this um, category around advocates. 
that we discovered that there are people there that, that their job was, was to build communities of their, of their customers. And they're tasked with getting more case studies and references and, and testimonials and videos and reviews. And I could see that was going to become a mainstream function that was going to go from something that was done in a handcrafted kind of way to something that's done in a much more mechanized and automated way. And uh, all we did at Influitive is, is really build a community of these people and make them feel like they're safe and among a big community. And, and now it is actually a big community. You know, Influitive has got uh, double digits in ARR and, and even through this crisis growing quickly. So that's, uh, that's where a lot of my ideas came from. And, and uh, a few years ago, uh, um, Salesforce.com asked me to do a couple of presentations at Dreamforce around categories. So I, I did some research there and, and found some amazing things about just how valuable it is to, to build a category and to be the category king, where often if you're the, the leader in a, a new category, it's, it's worth you know, as much as all the rest of the previous category combined. And I saw that at Salesforce, at Tesla, a number of other category uh, creators. And, and so that's why I've wanted to study this and, and myself build a category around category creating entrepreneurs. Because <laughs> um, it's not the easy route, okay? It's not the easy route, it's funny. When I went to start Influitive back in 2010, you know, my wife said, why are you doing this? Like, why, you know, this is going <laughs> to again, this is again, this is going to take another 10 years. Like, why don't you just find another category that, you know, and just, and just build, build better technology, you know, do what kind of Marketo did to Eloqua. Mm-hmm. And you know what? It's just not the way I'm wired. It's just not, I mean, I, I want to be a pioneer. I want to create, maybe, maybe there's a void, there's, there's a hole deep in me somewhere. But I understand the need for some entrepreneurs to not just innovate on existing technology, but build something completely new and build a completely new ecosystem around it. And that's who I serve today in my coaching practice for entrepreneurs who do this. Very cool. Looking forward to talking to you about UpCoach and how we yeah, yeah, yeah. find the category of group coaching. I am too. That's great. So in terms of the steps on how to figure out your category, number one, we want to understand the trends, the technology, and an area that ideally you know well, you know, the pain points that you want to solve for yourself, because otherwise, you know, you should not be doing this in the first place, in my opinion. Then you define the people who will benefit from this category or technology that you're building for this category. And then you really understand these people in depth. How do you do that? I think one of the reasons why there are so few entrepreneurs that really make it big is that in order to succeed, particularly if you're building a new category, is that you have to understand these people very well at a level of depth that most people are not willing to do. So yeah, I, I brought the idea of, a, of an archaeologist, maybe another type of person to look at here might be an anthropologist, like the, you know, these people that study these remote tribes and understand all of their the interaction models that people have in these tribes and just how these people think, like what their mental models are. That's a lot of, I think, what is required for success here. And it's a lot of what I did. Like, for example, before I even started Influitive, I interviewed more than 800 what I called super advocates. So these are people who do, you know, more than uh, three pieces of advocacy a month, which is a lot. So imagine someone doing three reference calls a month, like that's a lot. And I'd ask them, so what would it take for you to do three times more advocacy than you're doing today? What would you need to get? What kind of environment would you need? And they, and they told me, and they told me that, you know, well, it would be nice to be thanked now and again. I'd like to meet people just like myself. 
I'd like some help in my career. I mean, I found out all kinds of really interesting things, you know, from these people. And so if you can understand their mental model on how they think, especially in terms of their, not just their needs, but their attitudes. Mm-hmm. Again, going back to the bodybuilders on Venice Beach, like they're, they're not normal people. These are very special people and they think differently from, you know, everyone else. And, and understanding why they do what they do is actually critical if you want to go and build, essentially build a company a, a, around these people. From a nuts and bolts perspective, like how do, you, how do you do this? You just like have a, a Google form, which ends up in a the, in the Google document or in Google spreadsheet and just like define 10 questions and then you do a cold outreach to talk to all these people or like how, how do you? That is actually very similar to what I did. I mean, I went on LinkedIn and said, hey, this is what I'm excited about. Basically what I said is, I think that the future of marketing is people using their customers to do all their marketing for them. Mm-hmm. And I'm looking to talk to other people who are excited about this idea. And I'm looking to talk to people who already spend a lot of time helping companies that they really care about. And so I had lots of people who responded back to my, to my LinkedIn request. I had no trouble getting interviews because I was very pointed with it. I started with my why. So this is what I believe. If you believe what I believe, I really want to talk to you. Mm-hmm. So people were actually pretty excited to talk to me because they felt like, wow, I didn't know that there are other people who were excited about this idea. I, I, I'd love to explore that with you. So that is how I started. And yes, I recorded uh, my stuff. It probably wasn't a Google spreadsheet. It was probably just an ordinary Excel document. But, <laughs> so I, I actually had dozens of interviews lined up without having to spend a dollar. A friend of mine who co-founded WP Engine, he reached out to all the WordPress influencers or thought leaders and said like, hey, I'm building this WordPress hosting platform. I'd love to pick your brain on what I have to do to make this really amazing. I pay you whatever your hourly rate is. I would love to jump on a call with you. And he reached out to over, I think, 90 few people and he had a call with 80 people and none of them charged him. That, that's amazing. Yeah, and when you're talking to people about what it is they truly believe, this, this is probably the most exciting thing that they could do. But I went a lot deeper than just doing a survey. I mean, I, I visited a number of people who do this kind of work today, and it had all kinds of different titles from a community manager to, yeah, to, to an advocacy manager, all kinds of things like that, to understand how they did their work, right? So where do they use a Google spreadsheet? Where do they use CRM? Where do they use pen and paper? When do they use the telephone versus email? So I really wanted to get an understanding of, of how they do what they do. What kind of metrics do they use to judge their success? Who do they report to? What kinds of things do they read? Who is influential for them? What kind of blogs do they read? What kind of trade shows do they go to? So I, I believe that I probably, at least at the time, knew more about these people than anyone on earth. <laughs> and so when it came time to build a company around them, I think I was in, good, I was in a good shape. I knew... I, I knew what to name the company. I knew, you know, what to name the product. I knew how to build the product. You know, to this day, the Influida product is really so different from everyone else in the space, even the copycats, actually. And there are a number of companies that literally just copy everything that Influida does. But because of the insight that I think I had and, and that got passed to my founding team, I don't think that there's really any other company that can catch Influida because no one, I mean, they, they may be able to, to copy the strategy or the high-level product, but the insight that's gone into the product is still quite proprietary. I think that's actually one of the real benefits to being uh, to designing your your category is that because you always lead and people will just like run after you. Yeah, and that in, that insight is actually pretty difficult to copy. Talking about copying stuff, 
Do you have a cheat sheet of like, you know, main questions that you use when you do a survey that we can share with the audience? A couple of questions that, that come to mind that I think are different from the typical ones you might ask. One of my favorites is, what is influential for you today that was off your radar screen six months ago? And it's one of my favorites to ask, not just early when you're designing your category, but it's, it's almost always a great one because you have the opportunity there to discover a channel that is not well understood. And in marketing, that could be the difference between success and failure. Like one of the things that, for example, we learned and also our, a lot of our clients at Influid have learned about four years ago was that Reddit was becoming a powerful force in business, which at the time would have been ridiculous to most people, including me. Like I thought Reddit's a good place for anarchists and people who tell jokes. But what we were learning when we asked this question was that there were a number of people that were subscribing to, to Reddit, so some subreddits, and they were actually learning about business technology there. And so a number of our clients and, and ourselves at Influitive scored massive marketing wins by mm. dominating that channel before competitors could. And I think that's one of the, you know, one of the keys to, to doing well in this competitive world. So we, we'd find out about, for example, like analyst firms that might only have a handful of people but had outsized influence or underground trade shows or even private WhatsApp groups mm-hmm. or other groups that actually were very powerful and influential. That's one of my favorite ones. Uh, you know, another one is, well, what would cause you to do a lot more of this activity than you do today? You know, what, what kind of environment are you looking for? I mean, basically what you're, what you're trying to do is you're trying to understand a mental model of your potential customers, or, or they might be your already customers. But you're trying to understand the way that they think. If you understand how they think, then you can predict what it is that they're going to need. You're going to understand what kinds of products and services that they're going to need, and, and especially what is it that you need to optimize for. Because if you understand that, like that, that's really the key to success. So like in the case of Influitive, we solve for having the most engaging platform for advocates. And the product doesn't look like any piece of business software you've ever seen. It looks more like a video game than it does like a piece of software. But that's because of the things that we learned about what it is that advocates actually really value when they use the product. Like what we, what we learned, for example, was that what advocates really want was they want something fun and entertaining to do, but doesn't make them feel bad that they're wasting time. They want to feel like they are actually doing some good for the world, which is an interesting thing, right? So, and they typically, they use it at their lunchtime. So we, we designed, you know, a product based on this sort of very deep insight and proprietary knowledge of these people, the users of the software. By understanding that, I mean, you could really build quite a decisive advantage. You know, again, even future competitors who are copying your surface features, they don't understand why you're building it the way you're building it. They're just copying, but because we actually have the insight that uh, it, it allows you to create something that is uh, truly special and long-lasting. You know, now we understand what they need, but how do we give them what they what what they actually need? So, how do you figure out what to build first, or like what's the? I guess it's the next step in building your category. So the first thing that I did, and I've seen a lot, number of other great category designers do, is they actually start with content before product. The first thing I would do is write a manifesto. Mm -hmm. And you actually, now that I think about it, you see this a lot in religions and other things. So think about, you know, in politics, the communist manifesto, or you think about 
in religions, the you start with the Bible or you start with other things and say, this is what we believe. This, uh, and this is what I believe. I believe that the future of marketing are people, are customers doing the marketing for you. That's what I believe. And this is how I think the world's going to work. I think that is the first place to start is with a piece of content, which attracts followers. It attracts people who believe what it is that you believe. So I think that's step one. I think step two is the creation of a community. And uh, I think that's a lot easier now than it was when I, when I started Eloqua back in 2000. The next thing is after you, after you have your manifesto is that you now say, okay, I would love all the people who believe what I believe to come and join my community so that we can discuss how to improve our lives together. You know, I've started my community of Category Knots. It's just a WhatsApp group today. It might start there and then it migrates onto uh, a social media platform before maybe going to a proprietary community platform. And I think once you built the community, I would then start to ask people, what is it that you really need? Let's go and trade off what's most important to you. And then I think you can create your first products and services that are truly powered by the people who believe what you believe. And uh, there's actually a great entrepreneur that I, I talk about in my book about advocate marketing. It's called uh, The Messenger is the Message. And I interviewed a, a great Chinese entrepreneur named Carl Pei, created OnePlus. So he also started with his manifesto. And his manifesto is people shouldn't have to settle when they buy their cell, for, for, to buy their smartphones. Like they should be able to have both a low cost, but also having a powerful uh, smartphone at the same time. So before he created any product, before he created the OnePlus product, he actually had, he created his manifesto, which he called Never Settle, right? So you don't have to settle for second best. You can have both together. He then created a community and the community was active for more than a year before he created his first prototype. And so he had people in a community that would debate the importance of a longer battery life versus more powerful processor, it was a truly crowdsourced product, the, the, one, the one plus one, which is the first product. And then when it came to sell the product uh, and market it, it was entirely community-driven, So, which is amazing for a consumer product. But he spent less than $3,000 marketing this product. Um, <laughs> it was amazing. It was all done on social media. You know, his, the fans in the community were creating uh, videos on YouTube using the product. One, one guy came up with this innovative idea around destroying his old phone on camera before getting a new one. And then that idea took off. That idea became viral. And so Carl actually went and was smart enough to adopt that idea and said, okay, well, now the only way you can get a OnePlus One is you have to destroy your old phone on camera. <laughs> And so, it, you know, it's brilliant. And to today, this is, uh, you know, one of the fastest growing smartphone companies in the world. It's worth multiple billions of dollars. And he I think created, he created the category of phones for smartphone nerds. It's exactly it. That's what he would call this a category around now. I mean, I don't know, I don't know what he calls his category, but I think this is a great template actually for, for building a company. And uh, I think more entrepreneurs when they think about starting their company, including, including you, and I think you've adopted several of these ideas without even necessarily talking to me about it before. You know, but when you're talking to me about UpCoach, I think you've identified a community of coaches who believe what it is you believe around group coaching. You've built a mini community of these people already. But I think by writing your manifesto and by turbocharging your community, I think that you could build a, a very powerful community around around group coaching. I already wrote and, down on my, my, my bullet journal, right manifesto. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, no, because I think, 
I think you have a lot of trends working in your favor right now, a lot, including all this stuff around coronavirus is actually working in your favor. Coaching is, is growing like crazy. It's gone from being a very, like when I first, when I had my first CEO coach back in 2011, this was not a mainstream idea at all. I was probably one of, say maybe only 2% or 3% of people that, CEOs that I knew had a, had a coach. And it was only because I had a board member who really, really believed in this idea that I had one. But, so, but coaching is now much more, becoming a much more mainstream idea. I think that the fact that people are shut in actually works in your favor. And group coaching today is kind of a, is a backwater. It's done in a handcrafted kind of way. The opportunity to go and uh, make it uh, rigorous with a strong point of view, I think you have a tremendous opportunity. Thank you. It kind of goes back to uh, understanding the trends in technology and what kind of disruptive tech can you build, you know, kind of to the first point that you mentioned on, on how to solve it. Going back to this, I think, yeah, I think we're really not lucky, but I guess blessing in disguise, you know, with, with all the crazy stuff going on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Last point would be, how do you call it? How do you call your category? A lot of people get their you know, employees in a room, especially in marketing, and they, they try to come up with a name. And, and often those names aren't very good. And I think the names that typically are the ones that stick are the ones that you hear your customers and users you know, using. So I think the more that you listen to people and you, and you, that's where you get the question, like if this were an animal, what kind of animal would it be? Again, I think advocate marketing came out of talking with people who do this kind of work. And why was advocate marketing and not advocacy marketing is very interesting because advocacy marketing was much more widely discussed on the web. And, you know, if you, did a, if you did a search for advocacy marketing, you'd get lots of interesting stuff where advocate marketing was nothing. But the reason why we chose advocate marketing was because the people that we talked to believed that their number one job was to serve these advocates. Their job wasn't to generate advocacy. Mm -hmm. So it's almost like that Aesop's fable of like the magical goose that lays the golden eggs. Mm -hmm. you know that They're story. just there to, to make, make the goose feel good and produce more eggs. Exactly, right? So that's, and they saw themselves differently. So they saw themselves as, my job is to take care of the geese and they will give me more golden eggs. And so the eggs are the advocacy and the geese are the advocates. And so that's why we, we really stuck firm to that. I remember having a lot of fights with my head of marketing, my head of marketing saying, we should call ourselves advocacy marketing because Gartner calls it that and because you get a lot more Google action. And I said, but that's not what our people believe, right? And you know what's interesting is now advocate marketing is actually big and advocacy is small, my very small. <laughs> and advocate marketing has this idea attached to it that by taking care of these people, that they will give us more of what we want. And essentially, that is my manifesto. That was the Influitive Manifesto. Became all about that. And that wasn't my idea. That was just what we heard. You know, when we talked to the people who are really good at this job, that was what they believed. You know, that was uh, part of their religion. And all we did is just codify what their religion is. And, you know, wrote a book about it, created a conference about it, which you went to. You know, so... That's what I would advise is to listen very carefully to the words that your targeted customers and users use, and they will tell you what your category is called.
Now, you might hear two or three different things, and you might have to then do a survey and say, okay, given these three alternatives, what do you think best represents our idea? You may have to help push it along a little bit. But again, the goal is to understand their mental models and to leverage the way that they already think about it. You know, I'll give you another example, something that actually was a little controversial in our company, but, but again, the power of listening to people understanding their mental models. A lot of our advocate marketer users talked about this idea of mobilizing their advocate army. At the time, there were wars going on, and it felt very militaristic. And people inside my company were pushing back really hard on this idea. But we said, hey, look, like, that's the way they thought about it. That was their mental model. And so we then you know, leveraged this in our, our marketing. We even called one of the editions of our product army edition. You have an advocate nation, you have an advocate army, an advocate club. So we actually even named our product editions based on, you know, we didn't call it bronze, silver, gold, or, mm-hmm. you know, uh, team, professional, and enterprise. We called it based on what we heard our customers call things. And so, and I think this is a big part of, of category design is understanding the nomenclature that your customers use, understanding their mental models and leveraging their mental models, as opposed to you imposing your own model on top of them, you know, understand them better. So kind of see, is this the goal for you or have you thought about building a software that helps people to survey for category design? Yeah, but you know, it's interesting. Um, that is probably the evolution. Like if a category of category designers becomes a thing, and, and I do think it's going to become a thing. I do think it's going to be a thing. A couple of weeks ago, I talked with Al Ramadan, who is uh, one of the authors of Play Bigger, which is one of the manifestos around category design that's out there that you may be familiar with. And he has reported that the category of category design is just starting to take off. Mm-hmm. So there is actually a conference that they put on Only a couple hundred people attend right now, but that's often what happens in the early days. And people are going to learn more about category design. There's a handful of firms in the world that do consulting around this. I believe that I'm the only CEO coach that focuses on category designers, so I'm original that way. But yeah, I would expect at some point that there would be software to help do this. So it goes from away from being a handcrafted thing to becoming more a machine. It's also an ongoing thing, right? It's not you set your category and then you're done. You know, it also has to do with like continuous serving your, your customers, figuring out where's the puck going, you know, kind of. What uh, else for sure, yeah. That's actually one of the most interesting areas, I think, of category design that, frankly, I've not really figured out yet, but it's worth talking about is, you know, when do you enlarge your category? So, for example, when do you go from demand gen automation to marketing automation? So HubSpot recently enlarged their category from inbound marketing, which is a genius job of category design that they've done, from inbound marketing to growth marketing. Remains to be seen if they'll be successful with it, but they made that decision that they had to enlarge their category. So the question is, when do you do it? How do you do it? Why do you do it? To your point that your work in category design is not done, it really is an ongoing thing that you know, continues Even in the case of HubSpot, it's now almost 15 years after they founded the inbound category, they've now decided to enlarge it. Um, Salesforce has done that several times in their history as well. So it's a good point. uh, I guess that's for for another episode with you. If you're down, you know, we'll talk about category expansion. Well, Mark, this was awesome. Thank you very much for being on. Any closing words, some tools you want to recommend, some resources? Yeah, there's, so there's, there's a couple things that I've done. You know, I, mentioned, I mentioned the book, The Messenger is the Message, which is not strictly about category design, but there's a lot in there that uh, talks about 
how you identify these people that are good to build categories around, how to build communities around them. I've also done a couple of slide shares I mentioned for salesforce.com that, that have been downloaded a lot and it's got some, a lot of my ideas around category design and that's on my SlideShare channel. So if you go to slideshare.com slash Mark Oregon, you can uh, find presentations that I've done. Um, we'll we'll link it in the show notes. That's great. I, I mentioned the Play Bigger book. I did not write that, but I think it's a great book on category design. Anthony Canada wrote a book called Category Creation, where I wrote a chapter in that book. That's another book that's got, again, I've got a chapter in there, but there's some really great stuff there about category creation. So, you know, some good resources, I think, in, in that set. Awesome, man. Again, thank you very much for being on the show. I got a lot of notes for myself to go over. And looking forward to having you back for category enlargement. All right. Our expansion. Thanks, David. Thanks, man. Cheers. Is your sales team spending too much time researching leads and accounts? We take over all the labor-intensive sales development tasks so your team can focus on building relationships and closing more deals. We don't just build lists. We take a strategic research-based approach to find your team qualified leads every day. Ready to start? Schedule your free consultation at taskdrive.com. That's T-A-S-K-D-R-I-V-E.com. Thanks for listening to the How We Solve podcast. Dominate your market and crush the competition with our step-by-step playbooks. Subscribe right now in your favorite podcast player or visit howwesolve.com.